This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Calvary Online, it is so good to be with you today. If we haven't met, my name is Thomas, and I'm on staff at the church and have the joy of being able to be one of the teachers here. We're going to continue in our series in 1 Thessalonians, picking up where we left off in chapter 2, verse 13. So grab your journal, grab your Bible, grab a pen, sit on the couch, open up whatever needs to be opened, and let's look at today's scripture together. Chapter 2, verse 13 says this, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles, that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Today I want to look and focus in on just really one verse in all of that, which is verse 13. Remember, Paul has come to this area because God has drawn him there through a vision. Acts 16 and 17 recount the beginning of this church in the missionary journey of Paul and Silas and Timothy. And they come in, they preach for three Sabbaths. They hold three Sabbath meetings. Not sure if that's three sequential weeks in a row or three Sabbaths over three months. But there they've proclaimed the gospel and this community of believers has received it, has accepted it, has believed in it and been transformed by it. Paul talks about this church being a model church to imitate. We're in this book of Thessalonians because we want to glean from it what we can imitate from them. As they imitated Paul, as Paul imitated Jesus, how might we imitate their faith so that we too can be a model church to our region, to the front range, and perhaps to all of the areas in which you're watching today? And so today I want to look at verse 13. What is it that they did in response to Paul's preaching of God's word that we too could imitate? I want to pick up from last week. Remember last week, Pastor Tom did a great job looking at this first part of chapter 2 and that Paul arrives and talking about his ministry, that he had the, the right message, which was the gospel. The gospel was God's good news that he would send his son Christ to die for our sins, was buried and was raised to new life. And that even though he had the good, the right message, the gospel, he also had the right motivations, the right motives. He wasn't there to try to please men. He wasn't trying to get money for them, trying to build a business of religion, but he was trying to please God as God is his own witness. And then he had the right methods that Paul points out here that he was like a gentle mother, He was like an exhorting father. These familial terms talk about how Paul shared both the gospel and his own life with them, which is a great picture of how we as a church want to be with our community around us. And then he points out in verse 13, again, his thankfulness for them. This letter is filled with Paul's thanksgiving. That as he looks at the report that Timothy has brought to them, he's so thankful for what he has received. 
And again, he says here in in verse 13, as he said in the beginning of chapter one, verse two, he gives thanks to God. In fact, he says, we give thanks. Talking about, you know, when, when I get together with Silas and Timothy, we have our prayer meeting. And maybe there's others that are involved and and we're thinking about you. We're just thanking God. When we think of you, we're thankful for you. This reminds me of how I think about you often, Calvary. This last Monday night was our annual business meeting. And there we recounted God's faithfulness to our church over this last year in all the ways that he has preserved us, kept us, and really allowed us to flourish that the gospel has gone out and people have been saved and people are being made into disciples through hardship. And one of the key things on that business meeting was our thankfulness to God for you. And as we said in the very beginning of this series, we say here again that we give thanks to the one who's responsible for the gift. And so we give thanks to God for what we see here at Calvary. As Paul and Timothy and Silas give thanks to God, for what they see happening in this church. That God's responsible for what Paul sees being produced in their faith. Now, what is it that Paul is thankful for? He says, we also thank God constantly for this. I want you to circle three words. Thankful for this, that when you received the word of God, so circle the word received. He's thankful for how they received God's word. And then circle the word accepted it. You accepted it. Circle the word accepted and then the word believers. That this work in you believers. He's thankful for three things, I think, in them. In how they received God's word, in how they accepted God's word, and how they believed God's word. And then I think these three words can help us as a church when we think of why do we come on Sundays? Why do we tune in on Saturdays? Why do we open our Bibles on Mondays? Why do we listen to the teaching of God's word? Is we want to be receivers acceptors and believers of it. Now this first word received is unique. It's this Greek word paralambano. It's this idea that it's your hearing. Now these words can almost be identical, but here it's specific to like a student would hear a teacher, that they would actually give time to being an audience to a teacher, that they'd be interested in what a teacher might say. That's the idea behind receiving. They're, They're hearers of it. And then he says, but not only did you hear it, receive it, but you accepted it. That's this idea of this Greek word, dekomai, dekomai. That they not only heard it, but it has this connotation of welcoming it into their life. There's some hospitality of God's word coming into their life. They link their life with it. They allow it to be part of their life, potentially influencing part of their life. And then there's this word for believers, This Greek word for believers is pistuo, that they would actually trust it. They've been convinced of it. We might say that they obey it. So think of these three things, that they are hearers of it, but not hearers of it alone. They're welcomers of it. They're hospitable to it, not hostile to it. And then they're also trusting it, that they're following it, obeying it. This is what Paul is saying. I thank God constantly that when we brought the right message with the right motives, with the right methods, you heard, welcomed, and believed it. That's what I thank God for. It's God's work. He's responsible for causing that to happen in your own life. Not about you, but when I think of all the ways in which I've shared the gospel over the years, 
the responses of people are wide and varied. I think specifically of a season where I was more intentional probably of sharing my faith, almost weekly maybe, was when I was attending the University of Colorado in Boulder. One of my favorite places to bring up gospel conversations or conversations about people's faith was in the Student Union Center. And there I would grab someone who's probably studying by themselves, ask them if they had a moment for a conversation and talk about these issues of faith, of spiritual orientations, and then try to bring up this idea of the gospel or this Christian faith that we have. And you could readily tell when someone wanted nothing to do with it. That we would talk about faith issues for a little while, and then I might ask them, would you ever entertain thinking about Christianity? And they would say, oh no, don't you talk to me about the Bible. Like, they don't want to hear it. They want nothing to do with it. I remember one time I was sitting down with this young lady and I was asking her some questions about her faith and her upbringing and just making spiritual things natural and natural things spiritual and got to the conversation of Christianity. And I said, would you ever consider believing the Bible? And she said, no, I would never really consider believing the Bible because we know it's a human book. You know, there's lots of contradictions in it. It's not really reliable. I said, okay, so your biggest issue with maybe being a Christian would be the reliability of the Bible. Yeah. I said, w would you be interested if, if I could explain to you intellectually some arguments of why the Bible might actually be the most trusted source in antiquity? That if you couldn't believe that the Bible is reliable, you really couldn't trust any historical source from antiquity? Would you be interested? She said, oh yeah, I'd love to hear that. And so I unpack some reasons of why I think this is the most reliable source of, of writing. And afterwards, she said, wow, that's amazing. I didn't realize the Bible was that trustworthy. I said, I know. Would you like to become a Christian? Oh, no. No, thank you. I said, well, what, what other objections do you have? And it was nice that she was willing to listen to me talk about these things. She was willing to hear some of the, 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 the teachings of the Bible. And she said, well, these are my other objections. I said, well, here are some ideas behind some of those objections. And one by one, she would say, wow, that's really interesting. She would actually let me teach her, let me talk to her. And after each one, I'd say, would, would you want to be a Christian? No, I don't want to be a Christian. So she was happy to hear it, receive it, unlike maybe some of the other people I would talk to, but she had no interest in accepting it, in welcoming it, putting some hospitality to it in her own life. There are others I remember sharing my faith with later on after college who would be more than happy to receive it and would actually orient some of their life around it. They would accept it. But then I would find them maybe in a few months while I was checking up on them, seeing how God was working in their life and you would find out that there was really no believing faith anymore. That they, though they were hospitable to it, they were hospitable to a lot of things. And so there wasn't enough room for it to grow up in their life. And so they may have accepted it, but they never believed it. See, when I see these words here, and I think about our own evangelism, and I think of what Paul's doing in this city, I'm connecting this to another teaching of Jesus. Whenever I read the epistles, which are the New Testament letters, I'm always interested in asking this question, where did Jesus talk about these things? Like, where are they getting this from? So can I go to the Gospels, these historical books of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, the teachings of Christ, to help me understand a little bit of what's going on here? Because I don't know about you, but it can be frustrating to think, I have the right message. I have the right motives. I even have the right methods, but I'm not getting what I think should be the right results. 
I'm frustrated that I'm not seeing faith produced in my family, in friends, in my community. What did I do wrong? I felt like I was doing everything right. I was imitating Paul. I was imitating these New Testament evangelists. But I'm not getting the results that I see them getting. And I think about this reception here that Paul's giving thanks to God for. And I think of a teaching that came from Jesus that we could look at in Matthew chapter 13. So go with me to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, Jesus is telling a parable. These stories, illustrations that color in what the kingdom of heaven is like. How does the kingdom of heaven exist? How does it come to be? Where is it going? Who belongs there? And he tells this story of a sower, a farmer who's planting seeds. And he talks about the, the word of God being this seed. He says the kingdom is kind of like this, where, where there's scatterers, there's these farmers that go around and they proclaim the gospel, the message, the word of God. And they scatter it and it lands on all kinds of different soils or lives. And one soil is like a hardened path that it's so hard that the, the, the seed can't find any root. In fact, the birds of the air come and scoop it up. And there's a soil that's rocky and there's a seed that falls on the rocky soil. And then there's a soil that's kind of thorny or weedy that's filled with other plants. And then there's this good soil. And so this is kind of like what happens when the word of God goes out and lands on different people's lives. The disciples, like I would ask, ask Jesus, what are you talking about? I'm thankful they asked those questions because then Jesus explains. And so Matthew 13 Verse 18, Jesus says to them this, Hear then, like open up yours. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what, the so, this is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and another 30. This is what Jesus says. It's like there's people who go out there and they scatter the gospel. Even with the right motives, I want to honor God. And that seed, that word, lands on different people because of the way their heart is cultivated. It's like a soil. And some are willing to receive it, give it some attention, hear it like a student to a teacher. But there are, there's no real root there. That's kind of like the, the rocky soil. That there's no root, and so when the sufferings come, when persecution comes on behalf of the word, their, their, their reception of it quickly goes away. It proves unfruitful. And then there's those who maybe are willing to receive it and accept it with great joy eagerly, show hospitality to it, welcome it to their life. It gets some root going, but they're hospitable to a lot of things. And those thorns, the deceitfulness of riches and the interests of the world, that choke out this young fruit, this young seed. And so it withers and dies. But then there are those who receive it, who accept it, and believe on it, 
and they produce a fruitfulness in their life that not only feeds themselves, but feeds others a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. I think this is what Paul might be thinking of. I don't know for certain, but it could be. He says, I thank God for the work that I see him doing in your life. You couldn't do this work. It's his work that you heard it, that you welcomed it, that you obeyed it. And it is producing a fruit that many now are imitating all around the region. I want to be a church like that. That when we open up God's word together, we're interested in hearing it, welcoming it, and believing on it, obeying it, following it, so that we might be fruitful like the Thessalonians were. This is a great picture of and a hope for us of why we go out and scatter. We're responsible for the scattering of God's word, not for the production or the produce of it. That's up to God. And so what's, what's important here is that they received and that they accepted and that they believed on, not the words of men, but the word of God. That's what Paul tells them. And this, is, this can only come from God himself. And so there's two other things I wanna look at today, which is the word of God and the work of God that it's the word of God that they receive, not the words of men. The words of men, okay, those are rooted in our experiences. They're rooted in our preferences. They're debated about what's really true. Or you hear something and you say, how true is that? And so the words of men are experiential. This is what's true for me and my experience. They're preferable. This is what I would prefer to believe is true for me. And because they're experiential and preferable, then they're debatable if I want to accept that or not. But the word of God is very different. The word of God is essential. It's essential, which means the words of men, that's subjective truth. The word of God is objective truth, which means it's true across all tribes. It's across all time. It applies to all men and all women because this speaks to the men and women who are made in the image of God from the beginning to the end which you and I live. This speaks to our human condition, our human need from any age and any tribe. It's the word of God that they received. Now you might be asking yourself, well, how do you know that this is the word of God, not the word of men? That's a longer conversation that actually I wanna invite you into. You're at Calvary Online today. We actually do a podcast that we release on Wednesdays. It's a conversation called The Weekly. You can grab it on iTunes, Spotify, or go to calvarybible.com and just grab The Weekly. It's where we talk about what happened on the weekend service, and we connect it to our real life lived Monday through Friday. This week's podcast, we're going to investigate a little bit more of how can you know that these words found here are really the words of God and not the words of men. I hope you look for that podcast on Wednesday. It drops in your inbox hopefully uh, by 10 a.m. or so. But they received it as the word of God, that they can actually see the effects of God's word in their life because it's the objective truth, not subjective. And so it has this effect in the believers. It says that you receive that it's God's word, not human word, and it's at work in you. This word at work is the Greek word energero, where we get our word energy. That there's this energy in you that's connected to God's work. We might say it's God's word that produces God's work that brings about God's transformation. That there's an energy to God's word. It's not just simply a nice philosophy, a great therapy. 
it is God's living and active word. See, when it's human words, we look at it and say, wow, that's a good principle. If I could apply myself, if I could energize this principle into my life, then I could bring about some change. God's word's fundamentally different. God's word has its own energy. It's like a living organism in which is ingested into our life and then brings about transformation and growth. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, Hebrews 4.12, that the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword that accesses or pierces or penetrates into our life of spirit and soul, joint and marrow, deciding or deciphering the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That it accesses places that no human counselor can access. That maybe even in my own life, I don't know the depths of why I do the things that I do. How do I change? But the word of God has its work in me as a living an active organism of source it has its own energy that tells me, that instructs me of why I do the things that I do, of how to change. In fact, it's prosperous to us. What kind of work is happening in the life of these believers? Well, Paul writes a letter to Timothy later in his ministry. This letter he writes with Timothy to this church. Later, he's writing a, a letter to Timothy at another church. And here he says this to Timothy, chapter 3, Verse 14, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and what you have believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures, the word of God, which are able to make you wise for salvation through the faith of Jesus Christ. So the first thing that it can work in you is to bring you wise, to make you wise for salvation, bring you to salvation. Verse 16 then, all scripture, God's word, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You think about that? God's word at work in me is profitable. It's to my benefit. For you who are financially minded and you often think, what's my return on investment, my ROI? Like, what am I getting out of this? If I invest this time or I invest this money, what benefit will it bring to me? What profit will it bring to me? Here, Paul says, the word of God in you, to hear it, to welcome it, to obey it, brings about correction that you want in your life. You wanna change? This word of God brings that correction. It's helpful, it's profitable for, for training, for equipping, for shaping, for bringing back into wholeness a person. That's what the word of God at work in the believer does. But it's only effectual, as Paul says back here in 1 Thessalonians, to the believer, because the believer is the one who is following it, obeying it, surrendering himself to it. She's the one that says, that's God's word, not man's word. And I want my life to be oriented around it. Here at Calvary, we have several shaping values. Shaping values are like marks of a disciple, what we want to be growing up in us. One of those shaping values is around biblical authority, that we want to live under the Bible's authority. And the reason the Bible has authority is because the ultimate authority of the universe is God himself. God is the ultimate authority. 
And God has chosen to reveal himself through spoken words, through human authors. And so these words have authority, not because they're words, but because they're God's words. And so one of our marks of discipleship, one of our shaping values is that we wanna live under, as believers, the Bible's authority. This is what we actually say in our statement of faith here at Calvary in Article 2 about the Bible. Article 2 of our statement of faith about the Bible simply says this. We believe that God has spoken in the scriptures, that this is the word of God in both Old Testaments and New Testaments, that both of them are God's word. Through the words of human authors, that there's many authors who brought about God's word, not just one. As the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of his will for salvation, and the ultimate authority by which every human realm of human knowledge and every endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. That's what it means to have received and accepted and believed the words of God, that it is to be applied to all areas of our life and followed and trusted in all that it promises. Now, what can we learn here for us? Maybe two or three things. Number one is this. If you're passionate about the gospel taking root in people's lives and you're, you have the right message, it's not your message, it's God's message, it's God's good news that you're sharing with people. And you're really doing it for the glory of God. And you're doing it like a, a nursing mother and a, an exhorting father and you're not, bringing, you're not seeing the results that you want. Be patient there. Remember, our work is to be the scatterers, the planters, the cedars. Paul says to a church in Corinth, you know, Apollos planted, I watered, but God caused the growth. It was his energy that produced the growth. And so don't lose heart. We're not responsible for what it produces and when it produces this. The second thing is this, that you, as we ingest God's word into our life, should know that it has an energy of itself that will produce fruit in our lives. It will break through some of the hardest hearts, the hardest areas to change in us. If we continue to bring it into our life, to be hospitable to it and to follow it. I think of it this way. I was in Detroit a few years ago and we were traveling around to these abandoned industrial parks, concrete jungles one day. And what I saw busting through the asphalt and busting through the concrete foundations and climbing on the walls was all of this botanical life of trees and vines. And I thought, wow, what power these seeds really have to break through foundations. And there's like this tree just sitting through a building. I think that's like God's word. That's the kind of power by the spirit in God's word that changes our life, that can break through the hardest areas if we just give it time. And so we're not responsible for its produce. We're not responsible for the pace of it. But as we get this word in our life, like the Thessalonians did, knowing it's God's word, it will break through. It will climb the walls. It will produce the fruit that we so long for. And I just say that even to some people who just have family members and friends, that I know you want to come to faith. So continue to pray for them. 
continue in your gentleness and your faithfulness to plant seeds, to water those seeds, to cultivate those soils, and to trust God that he will bring about this growth. We wanna be like the Thessalonians here, first for ourselves and then for others. This is all possible only because God sent his son Jesus Christ to come for us, to die for our sins, was buried and rose to life. And that's what we're gonna remember at the Lord's table today. We're gonna take the cup and the bread today to remember Christ's work and the cross, his resurrection and ascension. So if you need to get those elements together, why don't you do that while this next song will prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper together.